Thank you for giving $11,553, I think, to Kids Against Hunger. We appreciate that very much. The 50000 plus meals were paid for more than paid for. Um, we um, mailed a check for all but $500 of that money away. We're going to take $500 of that Kids Against Hunger money and be a sponsor of another Kids Against Hunger event that is being held at Wright State University. It is just a one-come-all type of event. It's a $15 fee to go and pack as much food as you possibly can. So it's not something that a church is putting on. It's going to reach out to a lot of secular people. And we will be one of the sponsors of that event that will help pay for the Nutter Center that day. So $10,953 will go for our food, and then $500 of that will go so we're the sponsor and paying some of the overhead costs. So some, it, mostly, it's mostly, not entirely, but it's mostly churches that put on Kids Against Hunger event. But going to the Nutter Center and open it up, I think it's in February, and open it up to the whole student body and open it up to the Dayton population in general will be a way that a lot of new people can be able to get associated with that. And we're pleased to be a sponsor of um, that event. Um, one week before Christmas, December the 18th, seven days before Christmas, the headlines on all of our newspapers and all of our internet sites and the most talked about thing on Facebook and all the blogs was not uh, stuff to do with Christmas. Christmas was kind of um, taken captive by a um, guy with a long beard. And not Santa Claus. There's a little more gray in that beard. And unless you've been living in a cave since Wednesday, you would know that quite a stir has happened since some remarks that Phil Robertson, the patriarch of the Duck Dudes on A&E, uh, from Monroe, Louisiana, made a, some statements in GQ magazine. And all the talk for two or three days was not on uh, Christmas and what Christmas means and what Christmas means to a lot of people and a lot of different things. It became on the statements that a 65-year, um, I'm not sure how old he is, man made and uh, the network that his TV show was on, their reaction to those statements. Um, at first glance, that doesn't have too much to do with Christmas. But as you look deeper into that, I think it has everything to do with Christmas. And as I finish this last in the series of messages on the fact that Jesus is not the reason for the season I want to hopefully tie in what happened this week that um, captivated some of our uh, attention and tie it with what we've been talking about these last few weeks on the fact that we are the reason for the season. The, 
The verse that we have been using has been 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, that says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for our sakes, he became poor, so that we, us, you, me, through his poverty, through his coming down, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. And we've played with that passage the last two weeks, and I've got about all out of that passage that I think I can get out of that. And I want to be able to take a little different slant on the same thing today. But before I do that, I want to give you my take on the deal this week. And I'm probably foolish for even doing this. But I want to give you my take on the whole stuff that happened this week with Phil Robertson and GQ Magazine and A&E. Phil Robertson had every right to say what he said. And A&E had every right to do what they did. Um, He works for A&E. I'm sure there's a clause in his contract that says that he represents them and it's not a free speech issue. It would be a free speech issue if he was thrown in jail for saying it. That would be a free speech issue uh, if he was thrown in jail for saying it. It's, uh, we don't have free speech. I don't have free speech as your pastor. Um, I could be fired this morning for some things that I would say here. And I couldn't claim free speech because as a representative of you, I don't have free speech. Free speech is a government type of issue. Um, what Phil... Robertson said, um, it's biblical truth. He, 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 he spoke um, biblical truth. It should not surprise any of us that the world does not understand that. It should not freak any of us out and that the world reacts adversely to some Bible teachings. It should not get us all bent out of shape that um, one man is uh, suffering some type of persecution, even though I, I didn't want to use that word. The sales of Duck Dynasty stuff continues to flourish. The persecution that he's receiving is uh, not like anything like persecution that people in Nigeria are, are going through right now. But I would like to add just one thing, uh, maybe who, that I would think that um, I will wish that Phil would have remembered in that whole thing. While everything he said was, was biblical truth, and in a Bible-believing Christian uh, would back up what he said, I wish he would have remembered Colossians chapter 4, uh, verses 5 and 6. Did I include those? Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Now, you have to believe the readers of GQ magazine are probably outsiders, okay? That's probably not too big of a a jump. Be wise in the way you act toward people who are outside the faith. Be wise in the way that you act to people who are not Bible-believing Christians, Be wise in the way that you act to people who do not believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Verse 6, let your conversations always be full of grace, 
seasoned with salt. Um, Phil Robertson had a national platform. Has a, excuse me, has a national platform. As people like a Tim Tebow do as well. That national platform comes with a good bit of responsibility to unbelievers. It comes with responsibility to believers, but with a big responsibility to unbelievers. Because if you, if you understand why um, the Robertson family does what they do and why they put up with some of the editing that goes on and why some of the things that are said on the Duck Dynasty show get left on the cutting room floor, it would frustrate us as Christians that a lot of their evangelical talk does not come through. But they have chosen not to make a big stink about that because of the platform that they have to be able to share. They are now travel all through the United States and other countries and have a platform to be able to speak in places just because of the platform that A&E gave them. And so people who have a platform have to be careful what they say not to lose that platform. So Phil could have said the exact same thing. Full of grace, but seasoned with salt instead of dump with salt. And why he said was true, absolutely what he said was true. Because he shot from the hip, he may have lost some of his national platform to be able to speak to unbelievers. He'll still go from church to church and from place to place and speak to Christian groups and have a great platform that way. But possibly, we don't know how all this will turn out, He's lost some of his platform to be able to speak to outsiders. So far be it from me to be able to tell Phil Robertson anything, but if he asked me, which he hasn't, but if he asked me, I would say, make sure those of you who have a national platform, be careful not to use it, lose it, because your words are too salty. The Bible says, do not throw your pearls to the swine. Lest they'll come back and trample you because of it. The world doesn't understand. And if we throw out all of our pearls and we throw out all of the meat of God's word to people that don't understand, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 that they'll come back and they'll trample us. As we deal with outsiders, sometimes we're tempted to be able to shoot from the hip. And it makes us feel kind of good. And I'm not sure that good feeling is even of Jesus. It makes me feel kind of pumped up that I told them. I'm not even sure that's of Jesus. I must be wise in my opportunities with outsiders. I speak the truth. It's full of grace. And it's seasoned. Too much salt ruins whatever you put on it. But just enough salt. Just enough salt makes it taste a whole lot better and makes the person that hears it just 
thirsty enough to hear a little more. So I like for us to consider that. In the way we deal with outsiders, in the way we deal with the issue of homosexuality. Listen, the Bible is clear. Even the most liberal of biblical scholars will at least admit that there's no biblical support for same-sex relationships. Even the most liberal of biblical scholars. But it's been down through the ages, and scholars down through the ages have affirmed Bible's teaching that homosexuality is outside the will of God. And as we share that truth, especially outside the truth, it needs to be sprinkled, seasoned. So I don't lose my platform to go back and talk with that person again. Because as long as I have a conversation and a dialogue with that person, there's a chance, there's a chance that I can be able to reach that person. But as I, I push that person away. So, what Phil Robertson said is true. Homosexuality is not God's intent. It is sin. It is, not, it is outside the boundaries that God has created sexual relationships for. But it's no worse than heterosexual relationships that are outside the boundaries. You see, what some of you are considering, well, I'm in a relationship heterosexually, well, I'm having sex outside my marriage, but it's not as bad as homosexual. No. Somehow some people feel better because it's heterosexual sin and not homosexual sin. I don't see where the Bible makes any distinction there. I don't see where the Bible makes any distinction there. Sin is sin. Probably if I was asked the question, what is sin, as he was, and that's where he went into all this, I probably would not have started with homosexuality. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Because I, I don't think it as the top number one thing. I would probably define sin something like it's a voluntary transgression against the known law of God. That wouldn't have got me kicked off A&E. Probably wouldn't have made headlines anywhere because it's not flashy. <laughs> I, um, I stand with Phil on his right to say what he wants to say. I have to stand with any company that's right to have the right to do what they want to do with an employee. But I also would like to see all of us, especially those who have a national platform, not to lose that platform that can be used for so much good by throwing too much salt on issues that are not meant for outsiders. Go to Matthew 5. Do not throw your pearls to the swine. Be careful what you say to unbelievers. Because if you give them too much they don't understand, they'll turn around and they'll trample you with it. Okay? 
I think it would have been really cool when Phil was at, if you haven't read that GQ article, read the article. I mean, you know, Phil's words were pretty coarse, and that's just the way he is and all of that. But uh, read the article. It's, it's an interesting article filled with a lot of other good things other than the parts that have got him in some trouble. But he was asked the question, what's sin? And that led into this whole thing. And I think it had been really cool. It would have blown him away, but I think it had been really cool if the answer to what was sin was, um, well, sin, that's, that's why we have Christmas. That, well, well, that would have blown some people away. Well, he, in his rather straight face, and what well, he said, well, sin, that's just, that's why we have Christmas. Because it is, you know. You'll never receive a greeting card like that or a Christmas card delivered to your house that, that will be able to say anything like sin is the reason for the season. You'll, you'll, you'll never see a Christmas card that talks about that uh, Christmas is for people who take sin very seriously. But both of those statements are very true. You'll never receive a Christmas card that says that, that um, uh, Christmas is the exhibition of how sinful sin really is. You'll never receive a Christmas card that says Christmas is God's definitive statement on sin. But all those are right. All those are absolutely true. And go right into the fact of what we're saying these last couple of weeks, that I am the reason for the season, that we are the reason for the season. And if it was not for a sinner like me and a sinner like you, Jesus would have not had to leave his heavenly home. He'd have stayed right where he was. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, because there was sin in the world that needed to be forgiven. Um, You could say sin is the reason for the season. And if you don't take sin seriously, if sin is this little three-letter word that, you know, gets used to be talked about back in the 30s and the 40s, but doesn't get talked about too much anymore, if that's the way you look at sin, then Christmas will never be as glorious to you as God wants it to be able to be. The two most definitive passages of Scripture on Christmas talk about sin. Luke chapter 2 is is, is probably the most beloved Christmas passage that we have. Luke chapter 2. Can we have it? And you, you've, you've heard these words. We've sung these words. Hark the herald angels sing and all that kind of stuff. Okay? But the, the, the two most definitive passages of Scripture, one in Luke and one in Ma- Ma- Matthew, because the Christmas story is really only told in Matthew and Luke. It's told somewhat in John, but in a different way. It's told a little bit in Galatians, but in a different way. And in Luke, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, Now these are the the words you get on Christmas cards right here. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, 
a Savior. A Savior. And all through Scripture, that word Savior is used as someone who saves us from our sins. This is, this is the most definitive passage that tells the Christmas story. The one that's sung, the one that's on Charlie Brown Christmas, the one that we hear left and we hear right. And the most definitive passage about Christmas, the most well-known passage about Christmas, probably if unbelievers will be able to, to will give it a multiple choice and what a, a, a scripture passage that they would equate with Christmas, they would probably check this as number one. Today in the town of David, a Savior. And everybody blows over that, but only sinners need a Savior. Only sinners need a Savior. And the Savior has been born to you. And he is Christ the Lord. The same thing is repeated in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is where we get the other gospel that tells the Christmas story. You know these words. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Uh, Dr. Van Ness, at the first Sunday of, the, of this month, preached from this passage. His mother Mary was pledged to be... Um, Married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Names don't mean as much in our society as they did in the biblical society. I don't think people name someone a name because of what that name means as much as they used to in biblical times. And you go through the Bible and you see a lot of examples of that. The Savior of the world could have been named anything. It's hard for us to imagine anything other than Jesus, but he could have been named anything. But the name, the angel relayed the message. The name that was given was a name that literally means, Jesus literally means Yeshua is salvation. God is salvation. And he will be named Jesus because he's going to give a lot of good teachings. He will be named Jesus because he's going to heal a lot of people. He will be named Jesus because he's going to feed thousands and thousands of people. He will be named Jesus because he is going to turn over the tables in the temple. He will be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Can I tell you something this morning that you already knew, I think? Sin is for, Christmas is for people that take sin very seriously. How sinful must sin be in the eyes of God to give his son for the salvation 
of sinners like you and me. Christmas, it's God's definitive statement on sin. I'm the reason for the season. You are the reason for the season. And only because we're sinners. So it'd be very accurate to say there was this problem, sin. And God had to be, do something to take care of this problem so these people that he loved could be able to be with him and could be saved from their sins. First Timothy is not a Christmas passage, but um, well, I guess it is kind of a Christmas passage, even though we wouldn't think of it as a Christmas passage. Paul writes, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world, Christmas. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, of whom I am the worst. Jesus Christ was born. Jesus Christ came into the world. Jesus Christ was given. Jesus Christ was incarnated. Jesus Christ condescended. All those things we've talked about in the last two weeks, he came into the world because of sinners, of whom I am the worst. Friends, it's certainly not a Christmas thought that makes us all merry and glee and, and joy to the world and all that kind of stuff, but maybe it should. Christmas is for people who take sin very, very seriously. I'm the reason for the season. You are the reason for the season. Not because you're a lovable chap. Not because you're such a great person. Because you're a sinner. And I'm a sinner. And Christmas, Christmas is because of sin. Yours and mine. Our pastors are going to come to the table and be able to prepare the elements for communion this morning. Um, you walk to the table this morning and I don't know if we really think this to be a Christmas ritual. I don't know if we really think this to be part of the Christmas story, but it absolutely is. Because he came, came to die. And we remember that every single Sunday, but we especially remember it at Christmas. Remember the little babe in the manger grew up. <laughs> and when he grew up, those little hands were nailed to a cross for me and for you because of our sin. As we receive the elements of communion this morning, um, can it be part of the Christmas season for you? Can it be part of the Christmas story for you? Can it be part of rejoice? God has sent a Savior? Can be part of the angel's announcement for you? Can you remember that what we're ready to, getting ready to observe, symbols of his broken body and his shed blood, 
is the definitive statement that God makes about sin and how sinful sin is. Let's pray. Father God, um, this past week we had a, a national conversation about what's sinful and what's not sinful. And people argue back and forth and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we know that um, if it wasn't for sin, my sin, that there would have been no need for you to be able to come. Sin is a very serious issue. You take it very seriously. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we come now and we observe um, these elements that you have asked us to do in remembrance of the Savior, in remembrance of why he was sent. So, Father, I pray that in the midst of a festive season, this will be a sober time that will understand the sinfulness of sin and how God had to do the unthinkable and that was to leave his heavenly home be able to come to this earth in the form of a baby to be able to reach our us to be able to die for us so that one day we could be able to go with him so father I pray that you would make this time new and afresh for us as we observe it again in Jesus name amen and amen tables are open if you choose to observe